You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Hello, friends. Welcome to Unsiloed, the show that busts the echo chambers. If you dig hearing opposing perspectives about big issues from a point of mutual respect, if you like debate but love light, not heat, welcome home. Jesus, President Biden made a big big announcement this week. Did you catch that? I did, yeah. That the application that people can use, the app, I guess I should say, and the application, because it's both, that people can use to apply for student debt relief is now live. Yeah, yeah. had you heard that there was um, apparently all these scam artists that were, I don't know if you heard heard this, but I I think it was the Daily or one of those was talking about it, that people were kept getting calls saying that if you want to take advantage of student student loan debt relief, Mm -hmm. you know, you got to call us back and give us your info. And it's all these players are coming out there. And and I think in part because because, um, the administration really had not shared how, what was going to be the official process? Yeah, how it was to do just it, like, right? So it was like we're going to forgive the debt, but nobody knew what, what was actually yeah, happening. Exactly. Yeah. Of subjects that interest me less than the government, uh, you know, building applications or forms for online submission, I, I can't find one. So it's it's this and like I don't know, like horticulture in Tasmania. These are like very dis- uninteresting topics for me to follow. But I do think uh-huh. that in my um, you know, preparation for this, uh, for this episode, there's actually, there is, when, when you first told me about, let's, let's talk about this. I was uh-huh. like, oh, this is boring. But then in going through this, there actually is a lot of layers to this that are actually kind of interesting. So the announcement of this app or this application, because it's both, comes after, as you just mentioned, months of speculation and anticipation. Because back in August, mm-hmm. Biden said that his administration will wipe away up to $10,000 for student loan borrowers earning up to $125,000, as well as an extra 10K for those who used Pell Grants to attend college. So now this app is here. Um, and so there's a lot of you know detractors and supporters on all sides now that this application is here, and more broadly to the, to the whole point. I think there's a number of things about this student um, debt issue to cover. Um, you know, we can talk about the actual process of getting the getting this debt forgiven mm-hmm. because there's some interesting things around that. There's the actual issue of student loan debt and how we should feel about that, at, at least its forgiveness and the fact that it exists to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then whether or not this is actually the right solution to do any of this. So just to kind of kick us off, I will just mention this because I think it's sort of the smallest point. They made a big deal in some of the articles that I read about how simple this process is to go on to. 
and to just, it asks for very little information. I actually went and I checked out the form. It asks for your name and your social security number. It asks for some questions about, you know, very simple questions and not anybody needs to access another document in order to input. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that it's actually a very simple process. The reason why I think that's in any level interesting is because I have found, and mostly uh, with the work that we do, um, you know, helping uh, homeless families, that the degree of bureaucracy is a challenge in and of itself Mm -hmm. for people that are particularly down and out to get there. I remember you've talked to me about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a big problem, right? Most of, uh, you know, in most all cases that we get involved with a family, we'll spend hours just helping them walk through the process of actually submitting applications, understanding which of the municipal you know, departments they have to go to or go through, and then anything that involves interaction with a, with a real person, they need advocacy because you know, everything's kind of stacked against them. So while a lot of people, you know, maybe right of center, detract a lot of these things by saying, oh my gosh, who doesn't have a driver's license or who doesn't have this or whatever, and and I understand some of that sentiment, but the reality of it is, is this stuff is really sometimes just so burdensome, bureaucratic and ridiculous that it makes it hard to do. In this case, it seems at least pretty easy. And the way the process right. is supposed to work, you put in your info and if you qualify, somebody eventually gets in touch with you and then the process continues. And they're trying to get some of this money out, interestingly, right around November so that people can feel really good as they head to the ballot box to vote. I mean, look, if you don't think at this point there's always a political, you know, backing. I mean, let's let's not forget Trump delaying the 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 checks that people were getting in the heart of COVID to make sure his name was on the check. Gotta make sure who gave like, that check. Literally, like yeah. let's make sure Branding, hold baby. it up. All, Branding. Hold the presses until my name's on that check. It's hilarious though, some of the moves that they will make. I think look, and this is why when when I hear that part of it, like, yeah, it's true. Like every administration is always like there's some political motivation behind everything they do. Trying to I position that, yeah. things. There, to your point, there's so many layers to this conversation. Um, I think starting with, um, how do you feel about actually the forgiveness of debt of 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 yeah of uh, this educational debt to begin with? I think it um, it begs a lot of questions. Um, one of them, and they're not in any particular order, but one of them is how fair and balanced this is, right? So. And it's really interesting because positioning is so important, right? You you heard what I just said, which is individuals who make up to, I'm sorry, who don't make more than $125,000. Mm-hmm. Well, another way to say that is anybody who makes up to $124,999 qualifies, sure. right? So it's the way do you play it. And for families, it's up to $249,999. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about that relative to the national income averages, right, of people. Individuals in this country make $61,000 and families Mm $71,000 on average. It's not even like low. This is Mm -hmm. like the average. Then I wonder, does somebody making double the average or a household making triple the average, is that someone that should qualify for this? That's just one question. Okay. So that's one thought. I don't know. Yeah, but you're not answering the question. How do you feel about about debt forgiveness of education? I said it begs the question of, it begs some questions. I don't know that I've made a determination on it, but that's one of the questions that I have. I I think there is a, yeah, but I I guess you can make that argument. It's not an argument. It's an observation. You're fine. It's an observation. You could always make that observation at any point, no matter what number they actually put, right? Let's say it was a, let's say it was 120. Let's say it was 80. Let's say it was exactly the the national average. Mm -hmm. Put aside the number for a second. I'm, I think the, the, the form of question is, how do you feel about actually forgiving debt 
that people took on. I think, eyes wide open around education. Like, let's just talk about that for a second. I Maybe think we can context, talk about where, where the number yeah. you place. I think sure. to me, those are like separate. They're related, of course. Yeah, but, 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 but I think points. context matters, though. So, like, okay. that's an important context. If it was set at something more approaching the national average, then it would at least deal with the thought that I have that a lot of people who may not be the ones most in need of this, um, you know, federal money would be getting this federal money. So it would at least deal with that objection, and then maybe I could make my determination more easily. So there's just a number of things that I think about. In general, if you're asking for my observation, I think that the idea that the federal government is going to forgive a debt um, needs to be in a context of something, like a national emergency, a a war, a some other kind of thing, because otherwise it's hard for me to imagine why this debt applies and not other debts apply. So I guess my point initially is that I would be reluctant to look at these kind of, you know, government sort of bailouts uh, favorably from the start. Like that's maybe I'm starting from that position mm-hmm. of not being as much in favor of them, if you want a general observation. Right. But I'm right, open right. to, to discussing yeah. it. Um, yeah, my, my point of view with this, is, I think was, you were kind of getting to it, I think, initially, which is like what got us here to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. I think part of what's gotten us here to begin with is when you look at the the cost of a four-year university, how much that has just ballooned, right, over the years versus the actual salaries people make. Like, I, I can imagine right now being a teacher, how much debt are you walking in, like, through the door, and how much money are you actually making to be able to cover that debt? It is crazy, dude. Just just think about a four-year university. Even if you do some of it in city college and then do four-year university, like, the amount of debt that you're walking out – for someone that isn't getting 100% financial aid or is not getting 100% paid by, you know, by their parents or someone in some, some other form, you know, you got to think about that debt level. Actually, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I got to wonder, like, we're talking about like 40 grand plus at least, right? At the, least in terms the of The average debt. of debt? Yeah, I don't yeah, know. probably at least but that, But I've heard right? figures d- more than double that, I mean, but with individual cases. Right, right, right. And, and the question becomes, is like, should we be burdening the people that were, look, I guess maybe, maybe part of the premise could start with, do we believe that having a higher education helps society become more productive in that society? It's around 30,000, just so you know. That's okay. the average. All right, so I wasn't too, too far off, right? Yeah. So so I think the first question is, does, does having a higher education, mm-hmm. does people pursuing higher education in a society help the society be more productive? Mm-hmm. I think the answer is still yes, right? Now, we may argue- Where like, are we trending, though, in your mind? Is it trending to, to more toward yes or more toward uh, inconclusive or no? It depends how you look at it, right? Because I would say- it depends. We we should get into that because part of it is like the the blue collar rise that is required there, yeah. right? There's mm-hmm. that. There's also the globalization of especially service kind of roles that is only that only means that if you want people to still be productive, they need to be more educated because all of the manufacturing jobs that were there before, all of the making things that were before are not going somewhere else. You're all you're exporting all that stuff out to go somewhere else. So therefore, roles that were people can have very good blue collar jobs are in some cases for some areas no longer exist. That's right. That's happened all in the Rust Belt, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. so you have in those areas you can say, well, we should try to get more educated because those are the jobs that are still there. On the other hand, you're like, well, there's other other kind of blue collar jobs that we talk about plumbing and Yeah, they and, should just move to LA. Right. There's other <laughs> things like that where you need that, right? We can't also we can't even say it doesn't have any of that, right? So there's there's that. So but I still think that the the value of of being more educated in society, I think helps people in general, right? And we said that our cost to be able to get educated, if you don't come, especially from a wealthy family and put aside the, 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 the issue of like who is like who's paying for it. Uh, 
like debt versus non right who's paying for it i think the the thing is access right like whether we we agree with it or not if you have more wealth your access to be able to educate your kids is just higher and it starts all the way from pre-k and it, and it continues all, all, all the way across right sure so you have these people that are coming from my guess is they're having to carry this amount of, amount of debt are probably coming from situations where they didn't were not necessarily the the class they're coming from is probably not the class they're going into but when you walk out the door in your day one, you're carrying a bunch of debt with you. It just like, it's really hard to be able to shed that debt over time. I think you might have some right? people who would say though that, and you kind of alluded to this, you know, aren't you making these decisions with your eyes wide open? Like I'm taking on this debt sure. and doing this. For, for sure. Now, what I would say to that, I might actually argue the counter to that though, because I think that taking on student debt has become like so many of these things that are just automatics and expected. Like you should have a 30 year mortgage. And you're just going to be, you know, floating this huge payment over this period of time or that cars on average cost basically the average of an average household income. Like they just, that just is what it is. And Mm -hmm. you need need to pay for it. There's like a little bit of an automatic in it where I'm not sure if people who pull out these student loans are really looking at this as if they would be like taking out a loan for something else. They just see it as part of the equation. And also the economics of why these schools have become so expensive. They're not always rational. They're they're, not. they're actually mm-hmm. are built in order to keep prestige in many cases to universities. Sure, and the more expensive you are, and the else. more prestigious it actually is, right? So it's not because it actually costs that much to actually educate the, the you know these, these kids, or or those are really market dynamics. It's like it's a way they're, they're artificial market dynamics. I would say to mm-hmm. to do that. So that's part of the question. Like when I look at it and I think about this, there's always the timing of it, and maybe part of the question: Why why hasn't this happened before? Why hasn't this happened earlier? Like there are a number of different government bailouts that we do all the fucking time when things have happened. Now, many times the bailouts actually happen at the corporate level to companies, not to people. So that's what makes it different different and interesting in this case. But even case. in those cases, don't you think that it's on the heels of something? Like the last time that that happened, it was like massive government bailouts because of the, you know, essentially crash. Well, no, even before that was like the crashing of the whole financial the, system the, the in financial 2008. System, right, right. And then of course, COVID. Those are those are like massive moments. Yeah, that's that true. even if you disagree, you could say, "Well, I kind of get it." In this case, but, but to it, your point, yeah. it's like it could have happened four years ago, could have happened ten years ago, could have happened twelve years ago. But but sometimes you need people to actually step up and do it. Yeah, assuming and, you think and, it's the and right when thing to do. assuming it's the right thing to do, right? And um, and without the, those external factors really pushing on you, I do think the external factor here still is COVID, because a lot of this sort of started with the idea of like people are hurting, and therefore like what do we figure out? How do we help people? And one way to help people is give them more cash. And we did some of that with the stimulus checks or take off expenses that they're carrying. And what happened on the education side, as we know, is they first paused it, right? Because a lot of these are, are federal uh, federal loans, right? So they paused them. You have to pay, make payments on them for a while and then try to figure out, well, should we just not consider maybe forgiving this altogether so people don't have to continue paying them? So I just still think do I still do think there is a clear moment that sort of has sparked this um and but but taking the step definitely is one that is that is of interest. I mean, it's a lot of people that are obviously very against the whole idea of forgiving any kind of debt. But you know, you're not hearing a lot of people complain about PPP loans. Mm-hmm. Those being forgiven, that is debt. That was a loan, and a lot of people you know took advantage of that. People have not only took advantage; they're now going to jail because they abused they it, have, and they shouldn't have taken advantage, 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 right? Yeah, uh, and people seem pretty okay well, with that. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take these one by one because I'm interested in your thoughts, right? Uh So one of my questions that I have is around how fair and balanced this is, just to kind of play that out. I mentioned that the individuals who qualify, qualify up to $124,999 and families up to $249. The national average is $61,000 for individuals and $71,000 for families. Mm -hmm. Now, 
some portion of the people who are going to receive this uh, benefit are going to be at the upper end of that range. I'm sure a lot of people making 30 grand are going to get a benefit. And that's that's yeah. great. But there are going to be some people who are making 124,000 individually or up to 250,000 basically as a family. And I looked at some of the, these stats and just, I mean, it's, it's a little bit directional, but just to kind of make the point, about 30% of households in the country earn more than $100,000. So if you apply that same average, about 30% of the individuals who are going to be getting this relief are going to be in those kind of households. And so my question is, how should we feel about somebody making $124,000 getting a $10,000 debt from the federal government forgiven relative to someone making $40,000, maybe living more in poverty, maybe being for more neglected communities, getting the same benefit, but like well, you could make a case. Why don't we start with those people first and then see how much that costs us and then start stretching out where yeah. it goes? Well, you know, the reason you can't do that part is because try and do this more than once. Good luck. You know, you got to try You got to, I think you got to come up with whatever the best version you think you come up with one time, try to get it passed and then like hold on. Right. Because try and do it in, in waves. It's just never going to happen. Now, to your point about the, the national average, this is the, the thing where national averages are not great in my mind to look at it in, the, in this context, only because your national average salary that someone's making in Wisconsin versus in LA versus the cost of living and all the other cost of, of operating there is night and day. You could be making 70 grand in Wisconsin and living a much better life than bringing, making 120 grand and living in LA mm-hmm. or living in New York for that matter. Mm-hmm. And it could be a night and you could be literally poor, considered actually poor, making 120 grand depending on where you live. Right. So I think in how much taxes you're paying. So it doesn't account for any of those things. To your point, maybe a more sophisticated matter would have been like this should be tied to a both an income, but an income versus cost of living average in the area that Where you're at. That would have been a more sophisticated way. But then you have people come be like, oh, wait a minute. Like, I didn't choose to live in L.A. So why should they have more? So that's where it gets super tricky. But just looking at pure national averages. I remember we looked at, remember when we talked about um, in the service industry, mm-hmm. what the national average was for salaries for people in the service industry. And it was like a, a, dollar, a dollar amount that was crazy. I forgot the number, what the mo- amount was right now. It seemed like how could anyone ever live in that scenario? But this is where the national averages, then you look at different regions, we do vary quite a bit for, the, for that reason. Okay. So, so that would be one way. I think you got to, I think they opted in this case for simplicity. And part of simplicity sometimes means that you lose nuance. That could have been helpful. Well, there might be some wisdom in the fact that you have to do this all at once because, you know, right as soon as they launch it, there's been, uh, you know, a, like a half a dozen lawsuits. lawsuits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in fact, the um, one of the uh, state uh, Supreme Courts was hearing an argument just this week on this issue. So the idea of having an incremental one get sued to, to death yeah. and then try to tack on something else, you're not going to realize it's, Either the real tough. value or the political value uh, fast enough. Okay, what about this well, one? For though? sure, the political value. What about fast enough. what about this? Huh? What about it? The fact that it sets the wrong precedent potentially. So, in in other words, part of this is that you're basically relieving debt um, from a group of people, but it's a relieving debt from a group of people in a category where other people have already fulfilled their obligations. Right. So, as an example, yeah. what if just before? What if this year in January? I, finally paid off all my debt and I've been busting my ass to do that. And now everybody else gets his forgiveness. Mm-hmm. How should I feel about that? I Just bad timing? You'll be upset. Just screwed. You'll, you'll be upset. I mean, I'm not I, saying I, upset. I yeah. no, I think that person would be upset and has every right to feel upset. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know what else to say in that situation. Like with any of these kind of laws, 
any kind of new home loan that that gets applied, you can say, but I just bought my house and I just made some, I know, but you have to start somewhere, right? Now, if you, if you go to the point, like if you go retroactively, then then where's the cutoff? Well, if you paid off your loan in the last five years, okay, well, wait a minute, I did it five and a half years, so what, what about me? Okay, fine, let's do it six years. Eh, whatever. It, it's, I think it's really, really difficult. I get it and it's unfair and it sucks for the people that, that did that. At the same time, if you're in a position where you are able to, and if it will move on, then to some extent, you could take it, you could look at both ways. Be upset because this is cash that you could have saved and not, not spent, or be like, well, it's either way, it's something I want to have to deal with, worry about anymore, you know, going forward. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say in that, in that kind of situation, but there is a practical matter that you have to make a cutoff, and it, it gets really tricky once you start going backwards and then trying to get that. You know, try sure. to get that, that back to any, anyone that's already paid it off. The other question related to this is what does it mean moving forward? Because every day, even with this, people are taking on student debt. Right. Every day that's a really after good, this. That's a really interesting question, right? The, the question there being like, do people now operate with the assumption that, hey, I should just take on as much debt as I want because eventually someone will forgive it at some yeah. point? It doesn't have to be immediate. I could just kind of bite my time. Maybe. And then Maybe it, I I think the the question for me though is is less on yeah there's that not less on that that's actually a really important question the question is what do we do around the cost to get people educated like it's gone so out and of that's hand. where I was about to go yeah, yeah it's gone so out of hand I yeah. mean when I went to uh to school for graduate school we sued the the we meaning our we did a class action suit. Um, Your actual class did, or you just not just yeah the the entire I mean nothing university? to do with frankly no 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 the entire UC we sued the UC region so everyone that was in graduate school during the years that I went to sued the the UC, UC regions for the increase that we had between our first and second year it was so outrageous that we we're like wait a minute like you're we did not sign up for this we agreed to come to school for two years and a part a part of in the case in this case for business school part of a two year program. And you've now changed the terms of the agreement, right? You've skyrocketed our cost for the second year that we didn't we didn't agree to, we didn't factor in, and you basically we ended up suing them, won the case hmm. years later, and everyone got a check back. Oh wow! Of, of, but you had to pay it up front. Yeah, you still yeah. owed it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You still owed it. Yeah. So, uh, but that actually happened, and I don't know how often that's happened. Yeah. And I don't know if it was in specific. Frank, I wasn't paying attention to when it happened. Sure. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it, frankly. I right? think the but question it was really yeah. interesting, and I think it was. One of the first times that I can remember ever like or that ever happening, but I think that's a really interesting point to think about is like if it's gone so out of control in so many so many these schools that does that benefit society at the end of the day more or less? Mm. Right by making it harder for people to goes back to your eyes wide open. Well, then if you're not from that class already that you're trying to grow into, one of the, the beautiful parts about this country is the ability to shift class, move move up classes, yeah, which a lot of countries don't, don't have. have. Yeah. So we want to really be in that kind of scenario. I don't think so. I think that hurts our country more around innovation, around a bunch of different things. So you probably want to encourage more people that are that do have the ability to be able to go to these higher education institutions to be able to get there. Um, and I think this is a big burden for a lot of people. I think it is a really interesting question, though, about like, does this higher education automatically mean a kind of better, more successful population? Because I think there you have to kind of de-average. Um, I, I would be a lot less sanguine than you about the benefit that an education is making to this country for like your standard liberal arts kind of education. 
because I think the democratization of the web, the accessibility of information and data, webinars and tutorials and how-tos and the ability to just sign up for 10 bucks and have a master class with like the top guy in any field, I think all of that has to have had some effect well, on the value that you would otherwise get in a standard liberal arts setting. I, I now, think, a STEM mm-hmm. field or something like that, where there's some level of such deep specialization that unless you're hands-on and getting that that kind of instruction, maybe there it's it still continues to positively contribute. But I'm less sure that just getting a four-year degree in English or in literature or whatever it may be has the same effect that it did 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I guess my take is a little it's nuanced in what you're saying in okay. the sense that I think that a more educated society is a more productive society. Right. Period. Uh, that's my, my thought. Your I, starting point. My starting point. I agree. Now, with, I agree with that. The the how you get educated. That's what I'm saying. That I think we've had a massive shift in decentralization. Decentral decentralization. Is that right? Yes. Decentralization of our education, like systems. Right. Where it was previously very centralized around universities, and it was basically the the prime. You could always do it other ways, but it was just so much harder to do. Like to really go through libraries and a bunch of different ways. Yeah. You could, you could. It wasn't scalable. But it was very, very hard. I think that has become significantly decentralized. So to your point, you can do a lot of things. I mean, frankly, I find it really interesting even in talking to people that I'm looking at hiring, et cetera. Like he's like, oh, yeah, I've been working in this industry since like 17. Like since you were 17. Like, ah. Because they're self-taught. They've been like already kind of hustling and learning about social media and doing a bunch of stuff. This is a much, much earlier age because they already come in with a much stronger baseline of sure. information, education yeah. that has nothing to do with what course they took in the university. Like they learn by I'm doing. not saying they're some of them are doing both, right? But but there is, I think it's I think exactly right. So the there is an interesting conversation around as we think about education for the future, it does probably need to be thought in the context of a much more already as as already is much more decentralized manner. That includes a bunch of different ways because also I think it's helpful that people that before would have not, would have sort of flunked out of the system just wasn't really for them now have other options to be able to learn to improve and to actually have more opportunities that wouldn't have otherwise. The perfect example of this dynamic is one of my sons who like mm-hmm. you know he would have had to have gone to like aviation school to learn how to fly, but he before he got into aviation school in which he's in he already knew how to fly. Right. It's like and that was all on the basis of the decentralization of this of this information and how to actually learn to do things. So I think that's that is a, a very interesting question. Here, here's another big subject about this, which you know kind of helps to form my thinking. But I'm curious what you think about it. Mm-hmm. And this is the whole idea of robbing Peter to pay Paul, right? So uh, CNBC, in a completely different piece, reported uh, a, a, an analysis by a nonpartisan committee called "Responsible F- the uh, Committee for a Responsible Federal Government" that found that canceling student debt was actually going to boost near-term inflation more than the Inflation Reduction Act that was recently enacted was going to reduce it. So it was basically saying that when you add up the cost of additional taxes, right, this thing's going to cost about $500 billion when it's all said and done over the course of 10 years. And there's other analysis that have the number closer to $600 billion, but whatever, somewhere in that vicinity. Mm-hmm. And that the average burden for a U.S. taxpayer is going to be $2,500 additionally, right? So the question is, are you really relieving debt or are you just kind of spreading out the burden in a different in a different way? In other words, you're relieving these folks, but then you're kind of saddling everybody else with additional yeah. taxation. I, I think, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's, I don't know how <laughs> But it say. sounds good. Yeah. No, it's, it's not that it just sounds, I think part of it is like, there is definitely a cause and effect aspect of doing this and the real cause that it gets impacted to any, any specific, in this case, to our, our budget, our national budget. 
it's hard to say that you're going to cancel this debt and that doesn't have a, a financial impact. Mm-hmm. I think no one's actually has argued that. I think there is a financial impact. I think part of the question, which is what you're bringing up, is this more than the the benefit you get from the, 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 the Inflation Reduction Act, which is not just about reducing inflation, but also like investing in all this renewable energy, et cetera? Yeah, probably. I mean, it, it is interesting. But if, but if you think about the concept of doing that, I still think is, in my mind, is this still the kind of thing that I think is a, could be a very positive thing to society because you think about the, the level of issues that individuals are having in terms of, and those that really will benefit while you have some that are in the, in the upper part of it. I think in, in general, you're going to have people that where the, the canceling this debt is going to have a real impact on day-to-day life. Right when you're making 120, and they realize thirty percent of that—that means seventy percent are not make, are not in that in that category. They're probably closer to to the average or below. Right? It's like how do you get a job right at college at fifty grand and then owe fifty grand in debt? Like that's crazy, right? So I think there's like a real benefit that will happen to people uh, that can set them up in terms of having a much better future by not having to carry this massive debt. That when you look at the difference between those students, and I've known people that are that I went to school with that. Walked out of, out of out of grad school, out of undergrad with no debt whatsoever. They have a very different lifestyle mm. versus all those that did. And the reality is, when you're the son or the daughter of a family that where you're in the first generations of trying to trying to be like trying to you know get to college, not only are you more likely to be carrying a bunch of debt, but whatever income you make is probably being redistributed with the rest of your family because you day one immediately become the highest earner of your entire family. Mm. So you have the highest debt and highest earner all day one. And I think that makes it really, really hard to deliver on the promise that this country has so much for a long, such a long time has had of having that through hard work, through like through through grind, you're able to actually move up social classes. Uh, and it's the hardest on those that are trying to make those actual changes. So so having said what you described, I still think that when I think from that perspective, it still feels like the right thing and, to do. And by the way, the average, as you can imagine, is not broken out based on um, it's not made easier for people at the lower end of that spectrum. So th- this same analysis found that if taxpayers that are making between 50 and 75K are going to have to pay $1,000 incrementally, between 50 and 75 grand, people who are making over half a million dollars have to pay like $10,000 incrementally. But paying mm. 10,000 bucks when you're making half a million and paying 1,000 when you're making right, 50,000, right. yeah. it's a different universe. It's a very different universe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I I hear you. I mean, but I, I think you could. Once again, I think I, I think there's a clear benefit in this case. And if you do the kind of math on a lot of other initiatives that we do as a country, it becomes very quick to have the same kind of conversation. Like I, I look at the the one that I think about a lot when you talk about massive forgiveness is what happened with the banking crisis. We gave a massive loan to banks. We didn't forgive the loan of the individual. The individuals got screwed. They lost their homes. They lost everything. And then banks took over their, their house and resold them and then got they got up, upgraded and yeah. and those those neighborhoods got transformed. Right. If if they were taking this kind of approach at that time, it seemed like, hey, who screwed up were the banks? And instead of having the people be the ones that get, you know, that, that get benefit or get relief because of the banks screwing up, no, it's actually the banks in this case that get actually relief. Right. So that to me is like a terrible example of how it was done. In this case, Maybe it's the opposite direction of what we're talking about, uh, which is why I have a lot less of an issue with it. But you bringing up the whole bank and other classes of debt is another part of this argument, which is people would say, as important as the country being educated is, people having places to live is really important. So sure. why why wouldn't they 
look at the next program to forgive mortgage debt, as an example. Well, I, I guess that's, that's kind of the argument that I'm, that I'm making, which is what we did, what we did do is instead of forgiving mortgage debt because of issues that the banks actually had. We forgave it on the banks, but not on the, the mortgage lender. Right. No, so but we were, we're, so the country, we're all okay yeah. with it, or at least with their new, we're okay with it. Maybe now we're no longer okay with it. New argument. What would yeah. you say to the person who says, look, if they're going to forgive this kid's um, you know, Pell Grant, I want somebody to forgive my mortgage payment. Yeah. I mean, you go down the line on, on, on these different things. I think each of those scenarios are is probably something to be discussed. Is there a point about having more rent control in different cities? Right? Maybe. I don't know. Is there, There's already debt that we've forgiven for a lot of businesses, which is the PPP loans. Right? So is there other things that we do? We do incentive for businesses all the time. So I, I don't know. Maybe there is other things to consider here. I could see people seeing though, what if this, what if that? I, I got you, but you still got to it still doesn't make this the wrong thing to, to the wrong thing to do, or that you shouldn't do because someone else may come up and raise their hand. Well, it, it. But it could still be right and just at the wrong time relative to the priorities that you have, right? So, in other words, you can make a good case for mortgages because that usually is the most amount of anybody's income, the highest percentage expenditure in anybody's income, right? They say the rule of thumb is thirty percent, but the reality of it is, is almost half of people renting pay more than thirty percent, and something like twenty three percent of people pay more than. of their income in housing, essentially. And we have a homelessness problem that's out of control. So somebody could say, look, I'm fine with students getting more relief, but why wouldn't we start with homes? I think because when you look at the, well, it will be interesting to look at is, is the number of people that are actually owning homes, is that going up or going down? Right. You're having all these neighborhoods that corporations are buying them and then renting those, those homes to people. I think it's become significantly harder. I mean, here in, 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 in LA County, to be a homeowner, like, good luck. Good luck. It's really, really hard, right? Like, you need to have two people that are both making pretty good money uh, in order to even have a shot of getting getting financed, you know, to, to, to get a home. So you have a large swath of people that are not even in that, in that set of consideration anymore. So I think if you really want to impact everyone, it wouldn't be about home loans. It would be around housing benefit or some kind of housing. It maybe includes okay. whether you apply to home loans or you apply to whatever may be sure. the case. But that, in essence, is some form of the, the stimulus check, don't you think? I mean, at that point, they want to just do a stimulus check. Right. But the stimulus checks, again, were – and that leads us to our last point. But the stimulus check was, was, was related to COVID, right, which was a global pandemic, shut down the economy, and a lot of different things. Right. But my argument being is that if stimulus check helped in the sense that people mm-hmm. just got cash that they didn't have before at a time where they really needed it, that they could apply it to whatever they want to apply it to, housing or whatever would be the case. So – I agree with you. The majority of what people are spending their money on, or a big chunk of what they're spending on, is housing related. You can make it so that, hey, like you're going to get into a stimulus, and we hope you use it for housing. I think that's the right thing to do, or unless you're going to, and it becomes way too complicated to work with all the, all the lenders because you know if you give the money to the corporations who own the homes, they're not going to pass on those savings to the, to the renters. Uh, come, just how not dare you, Jesus? Come on. Of course they care about their well, I mean, I know trickle down economics is, 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 you know, for sure always works, according yeah. to our ex president Reagan, but. Way ex-president. Man, those are the way, good, way good old days. Are good you kidding days. me? So here's the last issue that I want, yeah. at least the ones that I identified, which is um, the whole issue of this, which we haven't talked about, represents a significant overreach on the part of the administration, mm-hmm. right? And the argument here is that the Biden administration is basically um, defending this, what they're calling a one-time student loan forgiveness 
under the Heroes Act of 2003. I don't know if you've read any, anything about this. I, I heard the reference to Heroes Act. I don't know enough about what Heroes Act it was <laughs> as to why that was actually used. Maybe you, you can feel What it that. does is it gives the education secretary the ability to waive or modify student loan balances in connection with a national emergency. Okay, that's what it says. That's what the law says. Yeah. So obviously things like COVID-19, the freezing of those, all those things happen during that time. But there's many lawmakers and a lot of conservatives who say that because the, that HEROES Act is in the context of an emergency, this simply does not apply, right? Emergencies are temporary. You know, there's always like light at the end of the tunnel kind of thing. Um, and, and this doesn't fall into that particular category. So you COVID doesn't fall into that category? No, 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 no. This, the relief... This student loan forgiveness, but isn't move. the justification for the student loan forgiveness is still tied to COVID and the and the issue people are having? I don't know. Maybe I, I, I think that so. hasn't been made as clear to me because I mean, it, again, we 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 paused those those payments during the sort of active phase of COVID. Yeah. Now they're being sort of wiped away. Yeah, according to Biden, says that he has the right to use the authority because borrowers are still financially recovering from the pandemic. So it's at least a justification they're making, which you, you knew they were going to do that. Yeah, sort of attach it to that. Attach it to that. Um, and maybe I guess the timing of it has more to do, I guess, when they could get it done. Because other people would say, and this goes back to an old argument, but other people would say, it's like, well, this is great. Let's just vote on it. Make it, you know, pass a law. Sure. Yeah. You know, not have this government office decide that this is what they're going to do and try to attach a different thing to it. I, I, I agree. We should pass more laws, right? Yeah. We should get rid of the filibuster. It shouldn't, it shouldn't require 60 votes in the Senate. It's just like, we're not at a point where 60 people could agree on anything. You're, you're not a fan of like, as we take on, I'm just curious how you feel about, as uh -huh. we take on new debts or new things, we should look for others to cut. Like, in other words, try to go for net neutral as much as possible. Because that's something else we don't do really well, right? Yeah. It's like try to... But I, I think, I just don't think anyone does that. I mean, it's the kind of thing that everyone talks about wanting to do until it's their turn to run the administration. And it's, I think it's all about filling the right pockets. Look, when, when Republicans get on, get in, you know, are running, are running the government, as long as you're investing in, in, uh, in um, military, all the conservatives are happy about that. Democrats are all upset because you're not funding social programs, et cetera. Then Democrats get on and they're all about the social programs. Right. And, I don't think anyone does a great job of it. I mean, Trump didn't do a good job of reducing the the, the, the national debt. Mm -hmm. There was no no real interest in that. As a matter of fact, you kept on lowering interest rate. Think about that. You kept on lowering interest rate to make the economy grow so that the stock market, that's all he really, really cared about, keeps on going up. There was no interest in balancing the books. No one has, has cared about balancing the books for a very long time. Did you hear what uh, Biden said when he was here in L.A.? No. He, he, uh, he went to, apparently somebody was filling up their gas. He went to have tacos somewhere. Uh. And across, somebody walked over and it's right across from a gas station. And um, they, were, they were saying like, listen, we've got $7 gas in California. And his answer was, well, you guys have always had $7 <laughs> gas. It's always been super expensive here. So just, you know, get over it. Just get over I it. I finally That's discovered, great. I discovered <laughs> ethanol. Did I tell you this story? No. My truck takes E85, takes ethanol. Do you know what ethanol is? No, It's no. basically fuel made out of corn. And like there's an app, predictably, where you can find all the E85 gas stations in Los Angeles. And there's a crap ton of them. I didn't realize there was, there was a There's certain thing. cars that take ethanol. And I put ethanol in my truck. And guess how much I saved in one tank of gas, Jesus? How, how much you saved? A hundred dollars. No. It cost almost 200 bucks to fill up that truck with gas at oh $7 a gallon. That's... Gas was $3.30 for yeah. ethanol. 
Three dollars. Oh my god! Can we just try it on all cars? And see, just it's roll the, the dice, it see if it work. works. Just put some corn oil in it, so you're gonna get I, the I same know, effect. I don't know if you remember seeing this, but like when uh, during the pandemic, was it during the pandemic? It was a little bit when like gas started really going up like a lot the very first time. I remember you said it's like there's a moment, there's a tipping point of five dollars, but like you, you, now you've no, gone way past it. This is way way past. Now that. it's past seven, and you, 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 I don't know what you feel about the past seven, but you, yeah. I remember at that conversation was around five bucks. Yeah, so it was funny. Um, someone was. Putting, we're going around to gas station putting stickers and having Joe Biden point at the at the at the oh, price. I, know, that that I did that <laughs> genius guerrilla marketing move. I love. I'm that. sure that is a, P, a political PR agency that came up with that. That is great. Yeah, uh, I hope not. I hope it's just like some random dude, just like with a with good sense of humor, yeah. just doing that's that. That's true. Good ideas like that usually don't come from agencies. Yeah, You're right yeah. about that. Uh, that's pretty funny, but. Yeah, I mean, look, just with the whole education part of it, I think the the thing that it, that is. I think the right area of focus going forward really should be on the point that you're making. I think I think there's two things. One is continue. I, I, I am a big fan of continue to find ways to make education more accessible to people. And that could take the form of make, creating more opportunities to have access to, even if it's not the full program, because at this day and age, maybe it's not about having to spend four years at a university, but I having know. access to the thought leadership, the material, ways to be able to tap into. Yeah. And you see a lot more of that now, right? You see like, a lot more like certification, all that. I think that's great. And then the whole idea of continue to push on the decentralization of education in general around other companies. And this is where hopefully startups and other people are looking at ways to be able to help people continue to get more and more educated. Because frankly, when I'm looking at, at, I feel like I rarely look at what their education is. Like, yeah, I know. I don't know how many Me times either. I've actually looked to see, oh, and so if where you did really, you go to school? And if you really like analyze and, and discern your own behavior, you do kind of make a little bit of a mental checkbox of, did they go to four-year school? Good. They did. Okay, great. Next. Like, it's not, you know, if you I have- I don't do that. You don't even do that. No, yeah. no. But I, I think honestly, a lot of people who hire do do that. And that's like, that's as deep as they go in terms of what you study, Charlie, what was your GPA. There's other people that I'm going through like a big rounds of interviewing right now. Mm-hmm. I'm not. <laughs> I should be admitted to this. Yeah. Not even asked the question, not even looked at it. I mean, yeah. for all I know, none of them have ever gone to school. Yeah. And, and it- I'm not I saying it this, isn't important, but I think, but it does vary by role, of course. It varies by role, by the type of work that they're really doing. But stuff that we're talking about, especially saying, on the social side, like I'm way more interested in terms of what they've actually worked on. Yeah, and that's kind of the Elon Musk approach, right? Which is he doesn't even care if people went to high school. It's like, what what can you do? What can you prove that you've done? How are you going to shake things yeah. up, et cetera? But I do think that the whole point you're making is that education is ripe for disruption. There's no question about it as a business opportunity, mm-hmm. right? Because you've got these calcified modalities of how we're supposed to learn. It takes four years. A semester is this long. You have to have this many credits. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff has not been reassessed in light of the evolution that's happened for communicating information because of the internet. Like it just has not. It's They're, they're kind of sitting on a gold mine and going, this is just what it is. You come and you spend four years here and you walk out with $100,000 in debt and that's just what it costs. So, you know, get over it. Right. And that whole thing is what I'm saying needs to be looked at because otherwise, I don't care how many times you forgive debt. The next thing is like, well, today as you forgive this $500 billion in debt, there's another $500 billion that just got booked for mm-hmm. the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah. That's right, and so unless you uh, you actually disrupt it in terms of what it, how it's going to be going forward, you're going to you're in this constant cycle. I mean, I think so. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think that's what it is. So, but in the meantime, go to your application and uh, fill it in. I'm going to try it just for, just for fun. I don't have any school debt, but I'm going to try it and see if I get a check just for fun. Of course, and I'm signing up for uh, probably some 
you know, racketeering charge or something for trying to defraud Probably. the federal government. So yeah, I've got you, enough you legal just, issues. You just admitted I'll, to it on. I'll I'll uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll leave that to uh, uh, to somebody else. All right, you want to go to Courage or Cringe? Yes. All right, you want to go first? Or want me to go no, first? You go first. So I actually had a, a couple, but I'm going to stick to one. This has been a subject of conversation in my family for a little bit, mm-hmm. and I'm not exactly sure who to give the cringe to, but it, it's re, it revolves around the Tua uh, Tagovailoa incident with the dolphins. Okay, you you, do, you know the story, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. a few weeks back, I mean, it's it, it's been 25 days, I guess it is, so not quite a month that uh, Tua, the quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, was basically pushed back by a defensive alignment. May have been a linebacker, but it doesn't matter. Somebody might correct me. Yeah, he got pushed. He didn't even get really get tackled. He got pushed, but as he came down, he hit the back of his head hit the turf, and he got up. And to say he was woozy is an understatement. I mean, he looked like somebody had taken a baseball bat to his head. He couldn't stand up straight. Then he took a couple steps, tried to shake it off, fell down, and then was being held up by by his teammates. Right. Mm-hmm. Eventually, he comes off comes back later in that same game and continues to play. And then the following week in a game against the Bengals, same kind of deal. This time he does get tackled and he gets whipped to the back, hits the exact same spot, mm-hmm. and he goes into this bizarre spasm that was freaky to look at, right? Yeah, it looks like he, Basically what it looked like, for those of you who didn't see it, is if you ever seen someone take a really bad knockout at an MMA, that's what it looks like. Yeah. Where when they their just, whole body just tenses up and like their stretch out tense up and it, it looks... It looks scary. It looks really scary. Yeah, yeah. And there was something where I, I get out of my depth pretty quickly, but having read some of the stuff from the neuro, the neuro uh, scientists, the neuro doctors, there was something particular about the way he froze up because of his fingers, right? Because I've seen guys in a boxing match that just go stiff, yeah, yeah, but yeah. there was something that his fingers did, which indicated something brainstem related in particular. I can't speak on that, but that's what some of these articles read. Right. Now, he goes to the hospital. This is on, a, is on a road game in Cincinnati. Ends up being released from the hospital that night. Travels back to Miami with the team. And then you don't hear anything about this. Even if you look on Google News right now and search his name, you get basically the articles from then and the articles saying that he's going to start this coming Sunday. And nothing in between. And, you know, to me, I just think that, and again, that's why I don't know if it's against Tua, it's against Mike McDaniels or the NFL, but you have all these stories of all of these guys mm-hmm. developing mental issues. Some have become very suicidal. Some of them sadly taken their own lives as a result of all this kind of cranial injury. And then you've got the NFL on one side protecting the crap out of quarterbacks, like where you can't even go near them without getting a flag mm-hmm. thrown. And then on the other side, a guy who might have brain damage, they're, they're kind of cool with him playing. So right. I don't know where to put it. But it's a cringe for me across the board for the whole uh, the whole scenario. I'll end with this, and it's a quote from Chris Nowinski, who's a former football player, a professional wrestler, and he's the founder of the Concussion Legacy Foundation. And he said, this is a quote, Tua showed five distinct signs of, con- of concussion during the Bills game. Anybody who has any training on concussions or cares about Tua as a human being is not putting him on the field four days later with the Bengals. So yeah. this, meaning the decision to play him this weekend, Jesus, because that's already been announced. It got announced yesterday that he's going to start on Sunday. This, continues the quote, this makes it so much worse because we know that this could be career-ending or season-ending. It should be season-ending, in my opinion, and it just shows a lack of care for him as a human being. And that's kind of where I put it, and there's a guy who should know about it. I just don't know if anybody's tried to talk to him and just say, hey, dude, like, 
take the season, take some, you know, take a little bit more time yeah. because and he's I, playing very well. Actually, of course which is, which he's playing crazy. really well. And well, he doesn't, so motivated to, to get but he's on. also been super injury prone, right? I yeah. mean, he, in fact, I looked it up and he's basically missed 25% of the game of the, of his game since he joined the NFL. He's missed 25% of his games because of some kind of injury. So he's been more injury prone, but these are like scary injuries. And I don't know. I just, uh, to me, it's, uh, it's not a courage. So there you go. Right. right what do you right. think? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I think it is, it's, it's cringe in the terms of not just how the NFL has handled it. Oh, by the way, the thing you didn't mention is that as a result of that, the, the NFL's players association, uh-huh agreed to new uh, concussion protocols, concussion like protocols. literally like a week after that happened yeah. or during the same week, I think in direct response, because I think everyone felt that this just looked wrong. And and I think the NFL is getting a lot of pressure from And a they lot fired of the guy of, who cleared him initially and all that but stuff. It's but just, that's yeah, like a scapegoat to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, it's it's. I feel like this is the kind of thing that, um, you know, the NFL sometimes is just... It's hard to give them benefit of the doubt with these type of things. They, they've struggled with this, with the issue around around concussion. And it's hard, man, because it's such a dynamic game. And even as it is now, there's already so many complaints about the game becoming too, too like, not safe is the wrong word. Like, they're, they're too, too restrictive. So, too yeah. restrictive. Also, some of, some of, the, the, some of the, the major complaints, conferences that are happening right now is how many roughing the passer calls, you know, sure. referees are making on like the dumbest things, you know, like Tom Brady had like one of those completely ridiculous and it's a bunch of them. I mean, I was at a game last night watching the Chargers against the Broncos and they, they call that roughing the passer on the lineman of, of, of the Chargers when he, when he dropped, um, Russell Wilson, and it was like that game was super boring too. I watched it last night. Yeah, I just, it was I felt yeah. so boring. I don't know what happened with the. They just the, can, they cannot score. Yeah. Uh, they were moving the ball some, but they just cannot cannot score. Well, but, the Broncos are a whole other subject, but but this is one four and two. We'll take it. Cool. <laughs> so I'm with you. Um, my courage or cringe of the week is um, is uh, and I'm not sure who I'm cringe on. Oh, oh I, I know, good, just like on. me. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it just got announced today, bre- oh no, yesterday, mm. breaking yesterday, that Kanye West has now agreed to acquire I knew you were do this one. the conservative uh, social media platform Parler. Yeah. Right um, now, this is uh, this is a couple of reasons why I'm kind of cringe on this. One is um, I would say let's start with I actually don't really care that he's buying Parler in the sense that this is a platform that has been around for a little bit. It's had a bunch of controversies. Um, and this is a very conservative conservative platform that just hasn't had a lot of success. Uh, I think it, the, the only reason to be in the news is because of one controversy after, or, or after another. It's gone like take it's gone deplatformed plenty of times. Uh, there's been all these issues that people were saying that all the stuff that they were putting in like in 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 lead up to uh, the the January six uh, events. They're, they've you know I think they've tried to do like the whole town square it just hasn't really worked out. The what was interesting the reason why I'm, I'm cringing the story is more because of the players involved in the conversation, right? Mm-hmm. So the CEO of Parler is a guy named George Farmer. Mm-hmm. George Farmer happens to be also the husband of Candace Owens. Mm-hmm. And if you guys remember, very recently, Kanye was, the controversy was Kanye and Candace Owens showing up at, a, at an event wearing the Why Lives Matter t-shirt. And this is the feels the kind of thing that maybe I'm, I'm, I'm ascribing way too much like bad intentions, but like this is the kind of thing that I feel like they're dumping a turd on fire on Kanye and he's got the right sucker to bite on, bite on it. And because Kanye, who is obviously a very emotional person, 
you can just see it from how he describes, was very pissed because he had just gone taken off of Twitter, taken off of Twitter and Instagram. Mm-hmm. And the reaction we get taken off Twitter and Instagram is, of course, I'm going to go and buy my own social media platform. Uh, and I feel like it's very opportunistic. It's the kind of thing, something that wasn't really being successful. They're dumping it on this guy who is who is having some serious medical issues. And mm-hmm. I think every time he goes on media, he did another interview with uh, with Cuomo, Chris Cuomo. Uh, recently and he's still just like ranting about Jews and media I'm like dude stop like mm-hmm. you're not helping your case I get you're upset and even if you have even if there's any truth to what you're saying like the approach that you're taking is just terrible and this feels very opportunistic it feels like look if you're you know if you are um, uh, George Farmer the CEO of Parler great for good for you you got someone to buy this thing fucking awesome right they raised like 56 million dollars I think is what it was you guys want us to buy it awesome like get rid of it right but putting it on Kanye is just and this dude is just being what feels like not a great mental state like the thing that I that I, that I don't hear anyone on the conservative side talking about is that everyone wants to talk about the mental decline of Biden mm-hmm. where's all the cause for the mental decline of Kanye mm-hmm. he's obviously going through a, a very difficult moment yeah and, well, uh, and it, there has to be a, mm-hmm. I mean isn't there someone that can step in like dude you cannot buy a company when you're in this current state I, yeah. I know you I mean there's I, restrictions of personal freedom and all that and but you see what I'm saying? Like, there yeah. has to be something to be like, dude, like time out. Like, Two things really quick. Don't do that. One is the function of it being dropped on poor Kanye for me is also a function of its purchase price, which those hasn't, hasn't been disclosed. It hasn't so, been disclosed. So you're right. So, you know, maybe it wasn't that, that, uh, that much of a, you know, whatever turd. Um, but, and I, and I could be completely wrong. The other thing on the issue of, um, the conservative side of the equation, not talking enough about this, I think you're right because, so much of the 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 razzle dazzle about Kanye has been we've got somebody who is an absolute culture maker, absolute like out there in the the the, the, the sort of fringes of the creative process, not sounding just like everybody else. So it's like such a win that you tend to overlook yeah. other things, right? But I do think that something is definitely going on there. Now, having said that, because I wasn't as familiar with Kanye as, as you are, so I wanted to go back and look at. Like, how did he sound 20 years ago or 30 years ago? And I found an, uh, an interview about him uh, uh, with him from 2001, mm-hmm. right before he starts kind of hitting it. Like that was a little bit later, 2004 or five or whatever. But, it, you know, it was before he was like some guy just cutting beats and laying down tracks and whatever. He's always been a, a little eccentric, though. Even oh, if you look back sure, at yes, this, yeah. like the rambling you should part. See, you should see his documentary. Like you'll see I have it. it. You'll yeah. see, you should see it. But it, is a I documentary really go back to 20 years ago? Oh, yeah. 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 It starts before he made it. Yeah. Right? Like what's great about the documentary is they, they had footage. He had a guy basically following for following him for, I forget what it was, like two years before he, like, like he first made it. And to his credit, like the dude had confidence to say, like, I'm going to make it. You need to like capture this. And, and oh, yeah. the story is mostly told by this documentary that the documentarian that followed them. Then they had like a falling out. They came back and continued following him all before he had made like any Anything. real music, right? He, he had some of like his biggest hits already like down because those are ideas that he already had. It's a really interesting piece when you look at it. So he's always been kind of that. Just that the 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 his mom. I mean, we talked about last time. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't have that. Like pull him back, pull him well, back. And out, also, I guess know? the point that I'm making is that oftentimes, even though it sounds counterintuitive, it's not our weaknesses that get us into trouble, but our strengths, right? Yeah. And his strength has always been, from what I was able to capture, a lot of outspokenness, a lot of like, I know you're telling me no, but that's why it's going to be a yes. A lot of this stuff, and in a point where you do get um, emotionally under duress, or maybe there's something deeper going on. Those same strengths end up becoming, or can become, 
you know, points of serious problems, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it can verge into mania and other different things. Um, but he's never been like just some guy who is, you know, talking, oh, chilling, no, 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 and then no, no, all of a sudden no. now he's talking about, you know, Martians or something. He's always talked about Martians, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> and by, dude, God bless, but I mean, <laughs> oh my gosh, but I mean, what? just, you got to like listen to the last speech he gave, the, this uh, codifying Roe v. Wade speech. Uh-huh. Good Lord. I mean, it's just like. It's 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 pretty bad. He's, and that's, a, he's a rambly old dude, it's, man. It's I happening mean, in real time. No, but he's he's a rambly old dude who's fallen off the cliff like at a, in a hurry. It's it's and I, look, I don't know. I I, I think you, look. Do I think there's some decline there? Absolutely. Like there's no doubt about that. Do I think a lot of his mannerisms and like quirkiness jokes like he's always had that kind of personality? What did and you, I think there's a lot of that. Yeah. Okay. But what'd you make of him asking where the woman was who died? Uh, I mean, okay. Fine. Do you think that's the first time someone has actually forgotten that? Like, that to me doesn't say like dementia at all. Mm. Dude, you're a president. The number of people that you know that you're going around, you don't think Trump ever forgot anyone? No, like, I know, but the context is important. You're there speaking in her state, in her forum. She just died. It made news. And then that's the one thing you say. I mean, yeah, it just, I, I, I honestly, don't know. that one out of all the ones, I probably give that, I give that one the biggest pass. I think you have a lot of shit going on. And it's, it, it can happen thing to anyone. I forget. I mean, you're asking the wrong person. Like I forget everyone's name. Yeah, that's true. Your and, future uh, does not look bright. It does my not friend. look good when in no. that category. So uh, maybe I give him way too much of a That's the thing is, we'll reason. be listening to this and saying, "No, he's not demented. He's never known anything. Like he's always yeah, forgotten yeah, yeah. Forget everyone's name." <laughs> when he was young, he didn't know what if was going on. If someone ever accuses me of losing my mind because I forgot someone's name, like we can listen to this moment and be like, "Yeah, no, that was always the case." All right, we got to wrap up because you got to get uh, on your way to more important things. Pick up your daughter and do all that good stuff. But um, anything else? Parting words. No, we'll be keeping an eye on what happens with Parler. I think we'll be yeah, really for sure. That's an interesting one. All yeah, right, folks. If you love this conversation, you like this conversation, please remember to share the show, to subscribe to it, pass it on to a friend, help the show to grow. We'll see you again next time on Unsiloed. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.